pastor tells a time where on a Sunday morning during the, the time of singing praise worship, he was uh, kind of had his breath taken away from uh, something that happened. And what got his attention was the lady, one of the ladies on the worship team that morning uh, was just worshiping the Lord, eyes closed. Uh, the church was singing, make a joyful noise. And man, the congregation was getting into it. And this lady named Lori was passionately worshiping God on the platform, huge smile, reflecting the joy about what she was singing about. And the pastor kind of had a flashback to the beginning of Lori's story. Years earlier, Lori was a single mom. She was divorced. She was wounded. She was spiritually lost. But her teenage son kept inviting her to come to church with him. And she finally came. And when she came, she felt very welcome. She felt right at home. And after a while, her eyes were opened uh, to the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. She knew she needed a Savior, and so she placed her faith in Christ. And that was the beginning. Great story, but it doesn't end there because it turns out that Lori's ex-husband, the teenager's father... He, too, was searching spiritually. His journey was like so many, a broken childhood, shattered dreams, deep wounds, leading him down a dead-end road. In his own words, he was a hard case, a lost cause. But what was going on in his ex-wife's life, man? The transformation he saw when he occasionally bumped into her he couldn't shake it off. It, it got his attention. He, uh, his teenage son was inviting him to church as well, and so he couldn't, he couldn't say no because he saw what was going on in Lori's life. And so he started coming to church. And after a while, he too put his faith in Christ. So God began to restore their relationship, and they started dating, and eventually they were remarried as husband and wife. Both of them were baptized in the church, an expression of their new life they had found in Jesus Christ. It's another God story. Man, there's so many even in this building right here, right now. A marriage salvaged, lives restored, family mended, hearts fully alive to worship the God who made them. Well, you flash back to that Sunday morning, and here's Lori on the platform, uh, leading the congregation in worship. Man, God is always bringing back the dead to life. Have you noticed that? Turning rebels into worshipers. Man, he loves to do that. Awakening praise from the pit of hell. Allowing us to worship God as he is. Almighty, powerful, worthy. And like David in the Old Testament, going to the book of Psalm. David, a warrior, David, a king, writes this, Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry, and he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground and studied me as I walked along. And here it is, he has given me a new song to sing and a hymn of praise to our God. 
David couldn't hold it in, man. He had to let it out, to worship, to praise Almighty God. And so this morning, we're continuing in the book of Revelation. How many of you did your homework from last week? <laughs> Somebody's saying, homework? Uh, that's school, man. That's not church. Yeah, so if you weren't here, we hit Revelation uh, chapter 2 of the church at Ephesus, and your reading assignment was to read through the rest of the six churches, and we would land at Revelation 4 this morning. So if you didn't do your homework, um, no problem, you can do it this afternoon. All right? Good, 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 good. Hey, just a heads up, good to have Steve and Nancy Gorder back from Kenya. Uh, Broad motorcycles over there from uh, Christian Motorcycle Association and uh, helping missionaries out and the nationals as they serve. Uh, always, man, uh, Christian Motorcycle Association has it together, you know? Great, great ministry. And uh, Steve and Nancy are a part of that, and we're grateful for their faithfulness with that. So, but anyway, let's take a look at uh, Revelation chapter 4. It's on the back of your program. You can, um, you can track there or open your Bibles, use your smartphones, U version, New Living Translation. Here we go. Then as I looked, who's I? That's John, the apostle. I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on it, on the throne, was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. And 24 thrones surrounded him, and the 24 elders sat on them. And they were clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. And this is the sevenfold spirit of God. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to teach your word. We're not coming up with uh, some suggestions or some theories or some loosely thoughts that have been put together. But Lord, this is your word, your spoken word. And I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would blow it up in each one of our lives that it would become so real and so alive that it will bring life change. Yes, Lord, we're asking for your help for that, for that to happen. And uh, we're grateful. We're grateful to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this talk is the throne in heaven. When you read through chapter 4, you see the, that word throne. It's the main emphasis. It's a word that keeps showing up, and it will continue to show up throughout the book of Re- Revelation. And it's interesting that while the world is busy glorifying everything else but God, in Revelation, we are invited as followers of Christ to become true worshipers 
That's God's heart. That's what he wants. He desires. And worship is our response to what we value most in life. Everybody's worshiping something. I want you to think about that. Everybody is worshiping something or someone. The question is, who are you worshiping? We'll get more into that later, but Bruce Leafblad, he's, uh, he's got uh, worship is centering our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the Lord. Great definition. Centering our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the Lord. In other words, we're being intentional about where we are when it comes to worship. Because if we're waiting for something to happen by osmosis or by chance or because of circumstances, it's never going to happen. We have to choose to worship the Lord. It's our response. And when you look through the book of Psalm, which we just read from, the longest book in the Bible, it's there on purpose. It's right in the middle of your Bible because it's a, it's a textbook on how we should worship God. So if you ever struggle with, man, what's this worship stuff all about or how am I supposed to do it? It is loaded with verbs on how to worship God. Shout to the Lord. Sing a new song. Clap your hands. Lift up your hands. Just a few. It's an action. And so worship is, is key to having a strong walk with Christ. 1 John 4, 4 says... You belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Jesus tells us in John 16, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. I, I thought that wasn't going to happen when I put my faith in Christ. Uh, 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 you're not reading your Bible. Jesus says you will. But take heart because I have overcome the world. And you want to know something? This chapter in Revelation is driving that home to you and to me. That you and I can overcome life's trials, tribulations, trouble when we do something specific, and that is putting our eyes on Christ and telling him how great he is. That's what it's all about. That's the antidote on how you can overcome in this world. So, Revelation not only tells us we will overcome, but it tells us how we will overcome. Aren't you glad for that? You don't have to, I hope so, maybe I can work this thing out, or I hope somebody comes. No, it's right here in front of you in Revelation 4. It's right there. And so, that's, I'm excited about this, by the way. Have you noticed? Because, man, this is so cool. Um, we can learn this morning, and I'm learning. And so when we learn to worship and praise God and follow this example as we go into the throne room by focusing on God, His power and authority, man, He can lift us out of those times of despair. Remember, last Sunday we talked about uh, Samuel Lamb uh, a national pastor in China who was imprisoned uh, because of having a house church and didn't follow the Chinese government's way. And he was asked, how did you survive those many years in prison with torture and, and isolation? And he said, 
One, it was Bible memory, having those Bible verses at, at hand, but he also said singing songs and worship to God. That's what helped him. That's exactly what Revelation 4 is all about. When Jesus is saying, you will have troubles, you will have tribulation. But when that happens, and through it all, you will overcome how? By fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ and praising and worshiping him through it all. So it had some yo's on that one. Yo! Yo! That's right. Now, just a, a side note. Um, Nick Foles, who was MVP for the Philadelphia Eagles a couple years ago in the Super Bowl, you know, gets uh, traded down to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and after a couple... Um, couple plays he gets injured and he's coming back today. He gave a testimony this past week about through the injury that he's been trusting God, that he's had an opportunity to build relationships with his colleagues, his teammates in the locker room. And he said, it's drawn me closer to the Lord. And we could go on and on and on about that. Can I tell you something? Sports, man, it comes and goes, you know. But what, what I love to see is when a Christian athlete plays the game and he honors God through it all. And yesterday afternoon, Tua from Alabama, the quarterback, he got injured at near the end of the second quarter. Got carted off, man. Blew out his hip. Tua is a brother in Christ. He's my brother. Okay? And Tua has been very vocal about his faith in Christ. And so I'll tell you a little secret. I had Tua's picture when he was in the cart. When they were getting ready to wheel him off, I kept that on my, my computer screen. And I was praying for him. Because he's my brother. And he's going through some trials right now. You see that? And so like Nick Foles, you know, honored Christ, MVP, and then he, he gets hurt and he's out for most of the season. And he's thanking God. See? That is what life is all about. That relates to you and to me. No matter what we're going through, we keep our eyes on the throne room. Because it's all about him. So... Where are we? <laughs> Jesus, I love you. Oh, how I love you. That's a good song. It's a good song. Number one, heaven's open door. Heaven's open door, verse one. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. John's still in his body on the island of Patmos. Remember, he's writing this, what the Lord is giving to him, and 
sending it via messenger back to Turkey, to the churches, seven churches. And John says he saw an open door in heaven. He's immediately transported to heaven itself. Heaven's open door. Now, in the book of Revelation, door, uh, it's an interesting word. Because if you, if you did your homework last week, you, would have, you, you immediately said, yeah, I know where that's at. Uh, to the church in Philadelphia, Jesus said in Revelation 3.8, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that nobody can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. To the church in Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 20, Look, I stand at the door and I knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. And then Jesus says this in John, chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus says, Yes, I am the gate. I am the door. Notice he doesn't say, I am one of the doors, or I am one of the gates. No, he says, I am the door. Aren't you glad for that? You're not spinning your wheels. You're, hope, you're not hoping you, know, you land on the right road one day. No, when you put your faith in Christ, man, boom, it's settled. It's settled. Those who come in through me will be saved. And John is taken by the Spirit to the door of heaven. Oh, man. God's opened that door, friend, for you and for me. I want you to imagine back when God closed the door to the ark with Noah and his family. I want you to imagine the door being open and Noah telling the people around him to put their faith in God. The door was open. Noah did not close that door. God closed the door to the ark. And nobody could open it. The door to heaven is open right now. God's grace is being dispensed throughout the world. He's calling your name. And he wants you to put your faith in his son Jesus, so that you can come through that door one day into the very throne room of God Almighty. And so, when we look at this word heaven, the word heaven is described in three distinct areas in the Bible. The first heaven is referred to the terrestrial heaven. It would be our atmosphere. When you fly... You're up in that atmosphere. You get to see it. Heaven refers to the celestial heaven, the second kind of heaven. That's where you find the moon, the stars, the sun, which is absolutely beautiful, God's creation. And the third heaven is the ultimate heaven, the holy place where God lives and dwells. It is this third heaven that John has been brought to in Revelation 4. Verse 1b, the voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. John's on earth. He's been writing about the church and suddenly finds himself in heaven. Can you imagine that? Woo! And the rest of the book he writes about these events on earth from a bird's eye view from heaven. It's pretty cool. Number two, God on the throne. Look at verse two. God is on his throne. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. 
The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. And so um, John is experiencing being caught up to heaven. It was instantaneous. He found himself instantly in the presence of God. Hmm. A mom and dad brought their young son to a pet store for his birthday. They said, man, you can pick out any dog you want. It's your birthday. The store owner came out and he brought out every dog he had in the pet store. And the boy picked the one who wagged its tail nonstop. And the, pet, and the parents asked him, hey, how come you, you picked that particular dog? And their son said, because I want the one with the happy endings. <laughs> and that's what the book of Revelation is all about. There's a happy ending. Man, you read the end of the chapter of the book of Revelation, there is a happy ending. And that's for you and for me. And we get to enjoy that and look forward to it in the future. So, what's heaven like? We don't know really a lot about it. It's hard to explain. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4, put it this way. He says, I was caught up to that third heaven, the one that John is experiencing, But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. You and I have a finite mind. It limits. We have limitations. What Paul is simply saying, man, when I went to heaven, there is nothing in me that could express what I saw. It was amazing. It was incredible. That's what we get to look forward to. And so that word, throne, is a key word term in Revelation. I kind of sense when John went to the throne, it kind of took his breath away. You ever been in a place like that? Huh? Where you went into for the first time and I remember as a young man, I went into my pastor's office for the first time. It kind of took my breath away, you know. He had a Japanese sword because he fought in the Pacific during World War II. And he had some other things. He was a missionary in Africa for 14 years, and he had all this stuff on him. Kind of took my breath away, you know. You know places like that. Well, you can imagine... John coming into the throne room of Almighty God and it takes his breath away. And it says that the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones. And so when John goes into that open door, there's a lot of stuff going on around the throne. But the one thing that catches his eye is the throne, and not only the throne, but it was the one who was sitting on the throne. He was Almighty God. And Lord, will you help me to be able to look through all the distractions of life that's screaming for my attention. Will you help me to look through it all and go right to where you are, to see you clearly? Help me, Lord to pursue you.
and you alone. And we see the one sitting on a throne was as brilliant as gemstones like Jasper and Carnelian. And so John tries to relate, he's trying to relate God in words, and he comes up with with jasper, which is like a diamond. It's clear crystal, you know, it just and it takes light and it just explodes it. That's why the ladies like diamonds so much. You know? Boom! I got a little diamond in my ring here too, by the way. Somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, it captures the light and it just shoots it right out. Carnelian, it's red in color. It suggests Jesus' willingness to shed his blood, which we're going to be celebrating in moments. Giving himself to pay for our sin debt. Mm. And then as... John looks on that throne. He sees this glow of an emerald circled the throne like a rainbow. When we see rainbows on earth, we'll see one end over here, and it zips over here and lands. But what John is saying, this is a 360-degree rainbow. It's a full circle, and it's all around the throne. Incredible. The rainbow signifies God keeps his promises. You can trust him. You can trust him. He's a God who keeps his word. Number three, the throne surrounded. Look at verse four. 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them and they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings. And their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Man. Interesting, huh? So let's, let's walk through all of what John has written down to us and break it down. First of all, the 24 thrones and elders, verse 4. What's that about? These 24 elders, who are they? Well, they represent the church of Jesus Christ before God. Lightning and thunder, verse 5a. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. wake you up. First time thunder and lightning were mentioned in the Bible, we go back to the book of Exodus 20 when Moses is on Mount Sinai and God is giving him the Ten Commandments. And the people at the base of Mount Sinai, dot, 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 Mount Horeb. Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb is the same mountain, by the way. Mount Horeb means mountain of God. 
And the people were fearful, and they said, Moses, you represent us before God. We're so afraid. Well, now, as we look today, Jesus, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're not standing in front of a throne of judgment. We're instead standing in front of a throne of grace. The throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Aren't you glad for that? We come to the throne of grace. We don't have to worry about going before that throne of judgment. But in Revelation 14, we see there's coming a time when that throne of grace is going to become a throne of judgment for those who never put their faith in Christ. At last, God will judge. And as we mentioned earlier, Jesus is appealing to you and to me and to those around each one of us because the door of heaven is open. Chuck Swindoll says the first theological statement that he could ever remember was spoken to him by his mother when he was a young boy. Ten words, he said, that would, he would never forget. And she said to him, Chuck, may God help you if you ever do that again. <laughs> he never forgot it. <laughs> it's a good theological statement. Oh, man. The throne of judgment, we have the throne of grace. We come boldly into his presence. We're grateful. Three, the seven torches, verse 5b, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. So John sees seven torches of fire, and you go back to the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews 9.23 tells us this. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. And so what, what we're seeing is the tabernacle, that was the moving temple when the Jewish people were heading towards the promised land. There was a bronze laver And it was full of water, and the priest would have to wash his hands before going in. And inside the tabernacle was a seven-branch candlestick. Well, now in heaven, we're seeing seven torches of fire. Those seven torches of fire represent the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all there, all at the throne. Number four, shiny sea, verse 6, 8. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. And so, in the Old Testament, when the priest would wash his hands with water to clean before he went into the presence of God, uh, in Revelation now we see this shiny sea sparkling like crystal. The point being made no liquid is, no, is it's not required anymore. Why? Because heaven 
in heaven, you never need to be cleansed because you have been forgiven once and for all. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And in heaven, we stand with the furnished work of God. It's been paid in full. The hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So all of you who hate snow, snow is in the Bible. Even though this is a hymn, it's in Isaiah. So every time it snows, you could say, he washed me white as snow. It's good. Snow is good. It'll get you through the spring. So... Shiny C, number five, four living beings. Six B, in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. If we took a vote this morning, I think all of us would say, uh, those, those are weird dudes, man. Weird, right? Weird? Uh, you just can't go down the street and find something like this. I mean, this, it, it really is weird. Winged animals covered with eyes all over their bodies. You go to Ezekiel chapter 1, and you'll see when he had a vision of heaven, very similar to what John is writing about here in Revelation 4. The lion speaks of power, the ox speaks of patience, the man speaks of intelligence, and the eagle speaks of swiftness and sovereignty. And they're all around the throne. And then we go to number four, worship around the throne. What's going on around the throne? It's worship. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on a throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And for those of you that are into evolution and you believe you came out of the swamp and you think you, when you die you're going back to the swamp, can I just put a little light on this? God created all things. And God created you on purpose. He put a stamp of ownership on you. Man, that should... That should set you free, man. You're not, a, you're not a mistake. You're not happenstance. You're not a... No, no, no. God knew what he was doing. And they exist because you created what you pleased. See, it pleased God to create you. You're handmade by God. And so you get a peek as we go into this throne room presented by John that, man, there's a lot of worship going on. Did you notice? It's a lot of worship. 
Notice it's not just one person, you know, one person at a time. Okay, you can stand, you can worship. No, it's corporate worship. It's corporate. Everybody's worshiping at the same time. Somebody's doing this over here, somebody's doing that over here, but it's all worship. Whoo, man. Oh, man. Verse 8, be holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. He's coming. And you look at these elders who were just overcome with awe and adoration to God. It says they lay their crowns before the throne. There's two Greek words for crowns mentioned in Revelation. One is the crown of a ruler. The other is the crown of a victor. And this is what John is writing about, the crown of victors. Do you realize you're going to get a victor's crown? What are you going to do with it? Second Timothy 4.8, Paul writes, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Man, I'm looking forward to that appearing. And these elders couldn't keep those crowns on their heads, man, because when they got into the presence of God, they wanted to give God everything they had. And even though God gave them that crown, they gave it back to him because he's worthy. He's worthy. Which leads it, the envelope's being pushed across the table and it's stopping right in front of you and that leads us to number five. It's decision time. Will I worship God? Will I do what's going on in heaven right now? Psalm 150 verse 6, let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. The reason why God is so interested in your worship is because what you worship is what you become. And in our culture today, there's a lot of worship going on, you know, for materialism, for popularity, for a better job, about me, I'm worshiping me. Jesus cares so much about you and me that he realizes we'll self-destruct if our world is only as big as we are. You were created by God and for God to worship God. And when you don't worship God, you are robbing him and you're robbing yourself of something special. And God realizes that. It, God's not an ego trip, you know, that he wants your worship for, the, you know, make him feel better. He's good. He's good. But he realizes that for you to become all that you can become, you need and I need to worship him. That goes back to how do we get through trials and troubles in this world? By going into the throne room. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on Christ and him alone. We don't go around saying, you know, I worship my stuff, I worship my job, I worship pleasure, I worship her. 
No, no, no. But just look at the trail behind you. The trail of your life indicates what you're worshiping. And it's very obvious. So there is a war for worship in your world and my world. There is. There's a battle raging because Satan, who was a worship leader in heaven, decided to have a rebellion. Didn't want to worship God. Wanted all the worship to go to him. And so God aborted him from heaven along with one-third of the angels. And some of you this morning, even driving down Brandywine Trail, there was a battle raging not to worship because of what you did on this particular week. The God, you don't want to be a hypocrite, so you can't worship God. You can't lift your hands because you're a hypocrite. You see, there's a battle. You have to get past that because God is worthy. God is worthy for your worship. Whatever you worship, you become. And if you don't like what you're becoming, it's time to take inventory on what's going on in your heart. Who's on that throne in your life? And if you want to become more like Jesus, it's time to worship. This morning, before I got ready to come here, I put on awake and I had a time of worship it's unfortunate that so many in the body of Christ wait to worship on Sunday only and that's why it's so tepid so mediocre but if the body of Christ would become like what's going on in the throne room we would worship daily we would. There's no excuse. We can go to YouTube and you can put on a hymn. You can put on a worship song. And you can worship because he is worthy. And so when you privately worship and then on Sunday when you come, boom, there's an explosion of corporate worship. Like what's going on around in the throne room of God. Yeah, it's pleasing to the Lord. And so this morning, let's settle it once and for all. Lord, I will worship you. I grew up in a dead church, man. It was, it was, you know, it was, they preached the Bible, but man, it was dead. We lost a generation of young people because of it. But I'll tell you something. As a young man, I had to settle it. Because we didn't lift our hands. We didn't audibly tell God how great he was. God was doing something in my life and I had to stop making excuses. God, I'm, I'm inferior. God, I'm an introvert. God, I, I don't feel worthy. And God began to challenge me as a young man to step out of my comfort zone and began to become a worshiper, a worshiper, to be proactive, to choose to worship God. Not because of how I felt and how I saw myself, but God is worthy. He's worthy. And this morning I can tell you he's worthy. And each one of us has to decide, will I become a worshiper to God and to God alone? Lord, I pray that your spirit will ignite that passion in each one of us as men and women 
to be intentional about worshiping you who is so worthy to be praised as we have seen it modeled through Revelation 4. Help us, Lord, to take off the throne of our lives those things, those people that have displaced you. And this morning, Lord, we place you on that rightful throne. In Jesus' name, amen.